And this is really almost a follow-up. You know, we can't do anything without God, but God chooses not to do anything without us. Buddy Bear, amen. Well, I'm glad you reminded me. Praise God. All right. Well, I think the uh, children know what to do with this. Kids, what you do is you go and you stand and look really uh, just cute and, and stand there and let people give you money and then you come bring it and put it in this buddy barrel. So, if you don't have a buddy barrel, you just hold your hands out. Just hold your hands out or whatever and it'll work. So, all right, all you young people, Lily, show them what to do. chooses not to do anything without us. You know, that's pretty powerful. As I studied for this, and it's, it's kind of been percolating in me for a while. Some of you know what a percolator is. But, uh, you know, God's not haphazard. God's not confused. Matter of fact, the enemy is the one who brings confusion. Amen. You know, God didn't get up one morning and say to himself, hmm, gee, I think I'll flood the whole world and see what happens. You know, or anything else you can think of. Amen? A couple of scriptures, and you don't have them back there. I, I apologize, Quincy. Uh, a party kind of interrupted me putting scriptures in. But 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not the author of confusion, 
but of peace as in all churches of the saints. And 1 Corinthians 14, 40 says, let all things be done decently and in order. You know, part of the miracles we read about in God's Word involve God turning chaos into order. So this morning, I want you to just kind of stay with me. This is going to be a little bit different kind of message. But I believe God has some things that He wants to say to us. And I believe that God is going to just minister to us this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank You for Your Word. And I thank You that Your Word, Lord, is everlasting. And that You never change. And Lord, I pray that none of us leave this place unchanged nor untouched. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. And some of you thought I forgot, but I didn't. Hold your Bible up, e-version or tree version. Say it with me like you mean it. This is my Bible. Sorry, I went blank. <laughs> it's God's holy word. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. So I boldly confess. My mind is renewed. My body is healed. I'm saved by God's grace. And live by His Spirit. Praise God. You know, God has a plan and He's had one since the beginning. Bible says in Genesis 1 that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. You know, from the very before the foundation of the world. God was carrying out His plan. Even though He knew Adam and Eve would fall, that there would be the sin that would enter into the world, every bit of it was in God's plan. And God did everything in an orderly fashion. If you go into Genesis 1, and we're not going to read all of that, you can read it when you get home again, but in day one, God created light. Day two, He created the firmament. Day three, He created dry land. Day four, He created the sun, the stars, the planets. Day five, He created fish and birds. Day six, He created the animals. And then His crown, He created Adam and Eve. And then on day seven, God rested. You know, there was an order to everything that God did. I, I, maybe, maybe it's just me, but you know, have you ever just kind of sat and contemplated? Now, what would have happened if God just kind of got things out of order and He created all the fish and all of the sea animals and then He goes, whoops, I don't have any water for them. You know, or what if He created all the plants and then He goes... Sure is dark. Oh, yeah, light. Maybe I should have had light first. You know, God doesn't do things like that. You know, 
Y'all, there's a powerful truth. And I'll just throw this in right here. Even before the foundation of the world, even knowing, and I said that, that mankind would mess up and sin and, and do all of the stuff that He did, God had a plan of redemption in place from the very start. Jesus going to the cross was not God's plan B. I'm going to let that soak in a second. That was all according to the plan. It wasn't plan B. God does things orderly. He does things... Well, in a way where it... It allows for the power and the glory of God to be manifested. Now, I'm going to give you just a few examples... And I'm going to try to do this as quickly as I can. I can't go through everything in Scripture, but if you go back, you know, it was only about 1,100 years after Adam until Noah. And most of you know the story of Noah. If you don't, you can go back into Genesis, starting about chapter 4, and then just keep reading. It probably wouldn't take you 35 minutes to read all the way through the story of the flood. But, you know, the story, of course, is how that uh, God had told Noah that, you know, the, the sin was just so extensive and mankind had fallen so greatly, except for Noah and his family, that God was going to bring judgment and God was going to destroy the earth and start over again with Noah. And so, God gave Noah some very specific building instructions and plans for a huge boat that would house Noah's family and every species of animal that was on the face of the earth. And I believe there was room in that ark for other people. God knew there weren't going to be or was not going to be. But I believe there was room there. But God had given Noah the instructions. But now, have you ever just kind of thought, what, what was really involved with that? I mean, we read through some of these stories, and we just it's almost like we're skimming. You know, it took Noah 120 years to get that ark built, to get everything prepared, to have everything in place. And maybe we've never really thought about the logistics of what really was going to take place with that. You had, uh, I mean, not just the construction of it, but what about storing food? I mean, it wasn't going to be any garden. You know, it, it, you had to have everything that you were going to need during that entire time. And, you know, what about tools? You know, uh, he wasn't supposed to leave all of his tools after he got through with it, I'm sure. You know, people kind of probably look at all us old folks because we've got all these old tools out in our woodshed, you know, or our shed in the backyard. But you know what? If uh, all the electric stuff and all the power stuff wasn't working, I got a handsaw. <laughs> Amen. You know, you got tools to garden with, and eventually they were going to have to replant and, and grow food again. And all that type of thing. 
And, and so there was, you know, water storage. I mean, they needed fresh water. And it wasn't going to be good water that was outside that boat. And besides that, you can't exactly hold your hand out the window and dip the bucket. Okay, you have to think about that one for a minute. Now, all of, all of that that had to be done for them, for the animals, and I mean, I've, I've thought about it, and did they feed the animals, or, or how did that work, or did God just supernaturally cause the animals to hibernate? I, you know, I, I really don't know, and the Bible doesn't really tell you, but whatever they needed, they had to have stored with them. And then there's the thing, you know, a lot of people tell you, if you ask them, well, how, what, how long was that flood? Oh, the Bible says it's 40 days and 40 nights. Well, that was the water gushing from beneath and below and above and everywhere else. But uh, again, you know, you, you don't have to go look this up, but the Bible tells us in Genesis 7 that in the 600th year of Noah's life, what would we do if we lived 600 years? Second month, 17th day of the month. On that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. That's when the flood started. But in Genesis 8, it says, And it came to pass in the 601st year, the first month, first day of the month, the waters were dried up from the earth. 600th year, 601st year. They were in that ark over a year. <laughs> you know, if Noah had not done things according to God's plan, <coughs> y'all, they wouldn't have made it. They wouldn't have made it. God does things orderly. Well, there's another story in the Bible. It's about Joseph. And uh, he's what I call the original prepper. Maybe not. Maybe Noah was. But most of it know the story of Joseph. <coughs> he was the one whose father loved him. Gave him the coat of many colors. All of his brothers were jealous. And... Actually, they wanted to do away with him. But uh, instead of that, God saw to it and, and changed their mind. And they sold him into Egypt where he went in, became a slave to Potiphar. All of that transpired and he was thrown then into prison for something he didn't even do. And then finally, through a series of events where God gave Joseph the interpretation of a dream that Pharaoh had about seven years of famine. He was made second in command of the whole nation of Egypt. And again, the thought that I want to present, you know, there, there's all kinds of things you can go into if you really go into those stories. But think about this. What, what were the logistics of doing what needed to be done because God, you know, God gave Joseph wisdom that, you know, there was going to be, or understanding of that dream, there was going to be seven years where there was just going to be bumper crops. I mean, there was going to be plenty. Everything was going to be good. 
And you need to store things away because then there's going to be seven years of famine. In Genesis 41, the word says this. Joseph was interpreting the dream to Pharaoh and he said, For that the dream was doubled upon Pharaoh twice. It's because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now therefore let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this. Let him appoint officers over the land. Listen. Let him take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. And let him gather all the food of those good years that come. And lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh. And let them keep food in the cities. And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine. Which shall be in the land of Egypt. And the land perish not through the famine. So what was Joseph having to do? Think about this. Joseph was the first one to create a national DFR. Department of Famine Relief. There had to be storage facilities built. Transportation set up to bring the crops in from the field. Laborers had to be hired. Supervisors to uh, oversee the laborers. And, you know... Y'all, Joseph couldn't do all that by himself. You know, we, well, I'll just tell you, we've known Andrew Womack for many, many years. And one of the things that he'll tell you is he's got this huge ministry with, I don't even remember now, uh, somewhere over 150 or something like that employees. Or is it more than that? I, I can't remember. And then they've got volunteers. But, as the head of that ministry, which is literally worldwide now and on television and everything else, he actually oversees five people. That's what he does. And then he does all the preaching, the teaching, and all that sort of thing. But how can that many employees and that many volunteers and all of that with a Bible college and everything else function when he only talks to five people? It's because he talks to those five, that five talks to others, and it just goes on down, and it's delegated out, and it all gets done. If he was trying to do all of that with that ministry by himself, you know what? He'd probably still be pastoring a little bitty tiny church in Pritchard, Colorado. And most of you don't know where Pritchard, Colorado is. <laughs> Look it up. Google it. But... Yep. From Joseph's testimony, the hand of God was working. You know, Joseph is the one that later told his family, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. That many would be saved alive. Y'all, God orchestrates and organizes things and then God works miracles that just are absolutely awesome give you another example Jesus ministry again you know Jesus said over and over again in the book of John that I do only the things that I see my father do. I say only what I hear my father say. 
Matter of fact, there's one scripture that says Jesus himself said, it's not me, but the Father that's in me that does the work. You have to kind of think and digest that a little bit. But it's amazing that God sets things up in preparation for a miracle and God includes people in what He does. God doesn't have to, but God includes us. Have you ever really considered the story of the feeding of the 5,000? Now, there's also the feeding of the 4,000, but the Bible really gives us details about the 5,000. You can pretty well figure the 4,000 was very similar to it. But if you remember that story, Jesus had ministered to the people. There had been many healed. There had been demons cast out. There, there were uh, people set free from bondage. And then Jesus told His disciples because they were saying, Lord, we need to send these people away and let them just filter out into the countryside and see if they can't buy food from somebody because we sure don't have enough to feed them. But Jesus said, yeah, we do. Now, I'm paraphrasing a whole lot there. But first thing Jesus did was He inventoried the resources they had. They had five loaves and two fishes. The little boy's lunch. And then Jesus had His disciples to separate the people into companies of 50s. Oh, and by the way, you know, if you do a little bit of research, when it says that He fed 5,000, they only counted the men. So however many women and children there were, that's not included in that 5,000. So there was anywhere from, and that's conservatively, 10,000 to 15,000 people. And so it says that he had them set in groups or companies of 50. And that's probably just counting the men. And then he set up a distribution line. Took his 12 disciples and he would start breaking off bread and fish. And he'd hand it to them and they would hand it to someone who was a leader over that company. And then they would begin to distribute that. And you know what? Everyone got fed. But he wasn't even through there. Then they reclaimed the fragments. They got the leftovers. And there were 12 baskets full. That meant that they started off with just a little bit. Everybody got fed. And then the disciples had lunch tomorrow. Amen. Can you imagine you're one of the disciples? And maybe some of the people weren't aware of how that was working, but you knew Jesus started out with five loaves and two fish. And He just kept handing it out, kept handing it out. And you're one of them that you're, every time you went back to Jesus, He's, he's got another handful, basketful, whatever for you to go and take over to another company of 50 and you're just can you imagine what that would have been like we'll come back to that let me give you another example real quick what about when jesus sent out the 70 to minister 
He told them to go in pairs of two. He told them to cast out devils, heal the sick, raise the dead, and preach the gospel. They were given specific instructions what they were to take with them and what they were not to take. They were even given a script. They were told what to say. Y'all, I think sometimes we need to go back and visit some of those things. And I'll just, I'll just kind of throw this out just because it's, it just fits way too good in here to not do it. Y'all, it, it's an indictment, I think, on us as believers and, and spirit-filled people that, you know, cults have it all together better than we do where they'll go out and they'll knock on doors and, and they'll walk the streets and they'll... they'll They'll do their best to, <clears throat> to proselyte somebody. And yeah, they may go to a hundred houses, but then they'll get a household. <clears throat> I think we ought to do as good. Amen? But really, we ought to be doing better. But the 70 didn't just go <clears throat> and go out without any kind of plan, without anything where they had no idea at all what they were supposed to do. They knew exactly what they were supposed to do. Here's another one. In Acts chapter 6, <clears throat> we've got the account where the apostles appointed deacons. They say, well, what do what deacons do? Well, deacons are supposed to deek. And if you'll look at word up, the root word of it, it means serve. Not act as lords over a local church. But anyway, I'm, I'm digressing here. But, you know, the, the body of Christ was growing. The ministry was, some ministry was getting neglected. And uh, there were some of the widows that weren't getting fed. So in other words, there was kind of some pastoral work that needed to be done. But the apostles just could not do all of that stuff all by themselves. I mean, there were just, I mean, stop and think about how big the church in Jerusalem was. Started out with 120 in the upper room on that day when Peter preached, 3,000 got saved. And then it was just a short time later, there was 5,000 that got saved. And then the Bible says that there were multiplied daily unto them. Uh, you talk about the first mega church. And it wasn't a feeling good church either. I mean, it was a church of repentance. Somebody say amen. But anyway, you know, uh, there, there was a lot of needs. And I mean, there, there wasn't any welfare agency. The church was supposed to take care of the widows, the orphans. And so, you know, they needed help to get this thing done. So... Yeah, you know, I, I, I was laughing at myself because I remember there's a story. Some of you probably have heard this, but you know, there was a, a church where the pastor retired. This new pastor came in. And after just oh, two or three weeks of, of being there, and everybody liked him and everything, but after about two or three weeks, one of the deacons called him one day and he just real politely told him, you know, said, now, our, our former pastor 
uh, he took care of all the yard work and he mowed the yard and he did the landscaping and it's looking pretty ragged you know just want to let you know about that and the new pastor said okay well thank you and, and so a couple of days went by and Deacon called back and he said uh, notice that yard's still looking pretty ragged and the new pastor said well I, I took your advice and he said I called the old pastor and he said he wasn't interested in coming back mowing it anymore <laughs> y'all I he probably gonna fuss at me later but Jeff does the yard and I don't know about y'all but isn't it awesome when you come and it's all nice and mowed and manicured and all that I, I think y'all just give him a hand amen and, and then you got somebody like Kim and she does stuff in the kitchen and uh, some of the other ladies and y'all pastors can't do all of it no more than the apostles could in there so in, in Acts chapter 6 they chose seven men honest full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom and appointed them and a result of that as the ministry of the word increased, the church grew, and even more people were called into the ministry. Now, I think some of you probably are picking up where this is kind of going. Y'all, there's a limit on what one person can do. I've been to I don't know how many leadership seminars and everything else. I could, I could lead leadership seminars just from having attended all of them. But... It's kind of like feeding the 5,000. The more people there are and the, the better you have things set up, the more people can be ministered to. We can't make God do anything. But we can sure position ourselves so that God can move in even greater ways. Uh, I, I know that you know, really, we still are a very, very young congregation. And I'm not talking about all of us are young in age. I mean, just as a body, we're, you know, this, this church really only began in 2019. Just in time for COVID. So it's, you know, we've already been through some interesting things. Amen. Two weeks, we'll be four years old. Yeah, you're right. And I really believe you know, we can prepare ourselves just like the disciples were led to prepare the people for the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Now, I, I'm not talking about us all of a sudden, the church in Purdy is going to be 5,000. Uh, and y'all, we're not going to try to copy a mega church somewhere. I mean, we, you know, there, there's the way some people say do it, and then there's the purdy way. So, but we can, we can, we can position ourselves for miracles to take place. And we may not be five thousand. Matter of fact, I'll just put this real simple. In our case, it may be like one of those companies of fifty men. What would happen if we had fifty sold-out men in this church? I'm thankful for the men that are here. I remember when we pastored in the years gone by, 
And I mean, it, you know, I, I'd do good. I, I might have full 30 in the congregation and five of them are men. Maybe. <laughs> you know, that's, that's that mentality where, you know, the men are going, I'll let the little woman take care of that religious stuff. I'll take care of the important things like football, barbecue. Okay, now I know I'm meddling. Nothing wrong with football or barbecue. But we need men. Amen. And let's think, what if we had 50 sold out men? If we're doing like they did with the 5,000, that means that there's going to be women and children that's going to be a, you know, involved with that too. So easily that could mean 150. Do you know this church could easily run 150? How many of you believe that in Purdy and in the surrounding county around us and in north and south and west and east of us, there's probably at least 150 sinners that aren't attending any church anywhere. You think? I mean, y'all, that's not stretching our faith. And I really think that if we look at it from that perspective, you know, God, <laughs> there, there's easily where this church could run 150. I mean, that's easy. Now, there's, there's a message in this. I think you're picking up that I'm, I'm talking about us organizing. Really just doing a better job of organizing things so that God can work the miracles that only God can work. But God's got a message for each one of us today. And let me just kind of sum it up with this. It's okay if you're just part of the company of 50. Or 150. Whichever way you want to put that. Jesus loves you. You're going to get healed. You're going to get set free. You're going to get fed. Spiritually and sometimes physically. But y'all, what God stirs on the inside of me is there's just something special when you can be that disciple that goes and receives from the hand of Jesus and God touches you and then you're able to go and you're able to touch somebody else. And you're able to take what Jesus gives you and you're able to give out to somebody else. And that, that, that doesn't mean that you're handing out bread and fish. That'd be great. But I'm talking about you, you get full of the Spirit of God. And then you're the one that comes up here. And, and you're one of them maybe that, you know, Frida's our prayer pastor. And I know she, she's not here this Sunday. But, you know, she's going to be back. And you're up here and, and, and people come forward and man, they come with a deed, they come, maybe they're actually literally in pain and they're hurting and they're struggling and you, you're able to lay hands on them and it's not you because I don't know about you, but we can't heal. God's the one that does that. God lets us, just like He did with the 12, just like He did with the 70, God will flow that healing virtue through us. And there's something awesome about being able to lay hands on somebody and, and watch God just do a miracle of healing. 
I mean, I've seen that happen way too many times. And I've told this story over and over again, but it just comes to mind right now. I remember we were in, matter of fact, it was an Andrew Woman meeting. And Andrew had me and Judy come up, and he said, Wilson, he had a whole prayer line just right up in the front. He said, Wilson, you go on that end, and I'm going to start on this end, and, and we'll meet in the middle somewhere. And just lay hands on them and begin to pray for them. Well, in those days, uh, that's what, uh, you know, everything was charismatic, charismatic. And people were doing, I, I called it the charismatic woozies. Uh, they had this idea that if somebody laid hands on you, you could just just go limp and fall over backwards. Because they normally got catchers. We didn't have catchers. If you went over backwards, you better be, it better be God. Or you're going to hit the ground. And there's a story I can tell you about that. But I had gotten in a habit where I would cup my hands literally around the neck when I was standing in front of them praying for people. And I, I'd hold them. And sometimes people would kind of start going backwards and I'm going, we don't have catchers. And they stopped. <laughs> And I said, look, if God lays you down, you're going to be fine. But, you know, otherwise, I'm, I'm going to hold you away. And I've gotten in the habit of doing that. I, I just cut my hands around their neck and very, very gently, but then I prayed for them, whatever they needed. And we were praying for healing, so I started on that end of the prayer line. I got about three people down, and there was this young lady, and she was just standing there, you know, just so serene and, and just oh you know just caught up in the moment and people being prayed for and stuff and I, it just had to be God because I don't know where they came from but I put her hand you know my hands around her head and then I just said in the name of Jesus and I went which just turned her head to the side and then back to the front again real quick her eyes shot open. I mean, just like, what have you done? See, I found out later she left her neck brace in the car. I watched God work a miracle. She was healed. She didn't need that neck brace anymore. No, there's something powerful about receiving the fish in the bread. You, you get the idea here and being able to minister to somebody else. When was the last time? And I'm talking to me too. That you had somebody come to you and you held their hand and you prayed a sinner's prayer with them. And you watched God turn a sinner into a saint. You want to talk about something powerful? Now, there's something powerful involved in I want to be one of the disciples. So God's message to you and to me this morning, you know what, if, if that's not where you are and you're one of the company of 50 and you're just being fed and you just need to be ministered to and you need to be the one who gets touched and you need to be the one who either needs to get healed or saved or set free or whatever it is, there's nothing wrong with that. That's absolutely awesome. But y'all, I've been saying this since day one when we opened this church. You're, you're the Sunday school teachers. 
But we don't have Sunday school. Not yet. But we will. You're on the worship team. Men, you're an usher. We're also involved with that ushering. I call it the courtesy team. It's actually church security. And it's sad that we live in a day and a time when we need to have church security. Because there are demons and there's demon-led people that are out in the world. And you better be ready to catch them at the door instead of letting them get into the building and do something that would be absolutely tragic. Amen? So you've got all that kind of thing. And some of you are going to be parking lot attendants. And some of you are going to work with children. Then some of you are going to, you know, uh, the day is going to come and God's going to deliver me from having to do the book work. And I'm talking about the church books, financial stuff. And, and so there's going to be that kind of thing that's eventually going to happen. And y'all, that's you. You're part of that. You're part of those disciples that get to be touched and fed by the hand of the Master and then you feed somebody else. And so part of this is spiritual and part of it is very practical. It's kind of like when Brother Stan was here and he talked about all the spiritual aspects of reaching out and missions and then it gets to the very practical kind of stuff where you know what, you make a faith promise and in that faith promise, as God supplies it, then you give in the mission and that's the practical side of keeping a missionary on the field because if you don't have a missionary in the country, on the field, doing the work of the ministry, then nobody's getting touched. You gotta have you gotta have somebody who's handing out the fish and bread. Amen. So there's the practical side, there's the supernatural side. And I believe that's what God's working in us. Is the practical side. And God's working the supernatural side. And you know what, dude? There's a part of that story. I didn't make those comments. It's in God. You know, they make some comments.
And as they did, but they were supposed to. They take off and back in and block the river. But we're going to do part of this in spiritual politics. And if you came this morning and you're hurt, and you came this morning and you have a need, I want you to come and we're going to lay hands on you. And we're going to pray for you. And those of you that don't need prayer, you're going to help me do the prayer. So let's stand together for just a few moments. We got lots of time, y'all. It's not even 12 o'clock yet. But I want to ask if you're if you're in need this morning, whatever that need is, whether it's maybe you've got lost loved ones and you're praying for them, maybe you're struggling in some area, maybe you're sick or ailing in your physical body and you need God's healing touch this morning. Whatever your need is, if you've got a need, I want you to just come stand with me right here. Stand here in front. And we'll just make a line right here. Come on, go out and describe the model. You've got a need this morning. Come on. You came for the need. Our God's a big God. Our God is a big God. And yeah, you say, well, good, good, God says, yeah, But you know what? There's just something about faith without works is dead. And I don't mean earning what God gives you. I mean just stepping out and saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to press through. I'm going to press in. I'm going to do what I need to. Now, those of you that want to, there's no proportion here. I'm going to let you come and I want you to gather right behind these. Now I want you to be with me when we pray for you. Because you get to be touched by the hand of the Master and then let God minister through you. So we're going we're to pray for the needs that are here right now, this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
but only the peace of God. Let God's peace rule as an empire in your heart's sake. Father, I Lord, we just ask right now in the name of Jesus for your hand and your intervention in this situation. Lord, we lift Kaira to you. We lift this family to you. Lord, in Jesus' name. Lord, we just believe with you to step into the middle of this Lord, we just we're believing you for a miracle. Yes, Lord. For care and salvation that she would you. Lord, even if she were to step into eternity, let her Lord be gained consciousness and have that ability to comprehend and to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. And Father, right now we just find in the authority of the blood and the name of Jesus. Lord, we just speak life. 
So Lord, we speak redemption. So Lord, we speak miracle. Holy Kyle and this family. Lord, we put it in Lord, we put it in
And y'all, I know there's some that aren't here, but you know, we'll, we'll let others know about this, you know, as they come off the vacations and things like that. But I believe God's setting us up. And I really think that God's setting us up, and it's, it's, it's got to be something that God's getting ready to do fairly soon. Y'all, I don't know about you, but this thing's about ready to wrap up. You know, our world has turned literally upside down. We're watching Bible prophecy be fulfilled, and I'm going to be preaching on that. You know what about that? I've been studying it for weeks on Noah. And you don't know how bad I want this to launch in for that, but we'd still be going to have it on that. But my struggle is not having something to say. My struggle is to get it where it's in the time of life. Because the mind will only absorb what the seed will endure. Okay, so maybe that'll get to the way home.
Mr. Lilly, if you did not get a piece of cake,